guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Friday. Hope everyone has had a great week. Today, I am talking to Candace Owens, whom I know all of you know. We will be talking about her brand new book, Blackout. We will also be talking about a variety of political and cultural subjects. So I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation. Without further ado, here is Candace Owens. Candace, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, congratulations. You've got two things to be congratulated on. At least you birthed a book and you are going to birth a baby. This is such an exciting time for you. Congratulations. How are you feeling about everything? Thank you. I feel like the book has definitely been a longer birth and a yeah. more frustrating birth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's amazing to have it out. You know, it was a real back and forth struggle with Simon and Schuster to just sort of keep the content that I wanted in the voice that I wanted with the strong language that I wanted. Um, so it feels amazing to have it be out and have it be so successful. Yeah. And then on the personal baby side, I mean, I've had the easiest, best pregnancy ever. I'm six months in one week and I have not had a single symptom and I've just got so much energy. <laughs> That's so, amazing. It's been pretty good. That is awesome. Okay. Can you tell us how it happened when you found out that you were pregnant? Like, were you just like over the moon? We love to hear those kinds of stories. I knew instantly I am one of those people that is crazy in touch with my body. Like, and my body is like a, a clock. Like there is nothing ever amiss. Like I am just like a very healthy person. And I mean, I knew the second I was pregnant my husband was like, are you crazy? Um, and I was like, watch, go get a test. And we got a test and I found out I was pregnant and we were so excited. Oh my gosh. Um, it's just, it was honestly such a special moment. Uh, that you'll never get to have again, you know, your first child uh, and figuring out, finding out that you're pregnant. Um, I knew instantly, instinctively in that moment also what sex it was. Um, and my husband's like, you're wow. crazy. It's <laughs> like, I know this, and I'm pregnant and I'm having a blank and everything turned out to be correct. We just had our 20 week scan and he's just like, you are a really bizarre human being. <laughs> you just know, it's just intuitive. And so you're keeping the gender private for now, I'm guessing. Yeah, we are keeping it a secret. <laughs> that, is, that is so exciting. Well, I'm so excited for you. Um, as you know, motherhood changes everything. Even when you are just pregnant with the child, like your perspective on the world just changes. Have you experienced that already? Yes, definitely. I mean, one of the things is just that you're already so much more selfless. Me, I love to go into the fight in terms of politics. I love to show up at the protests and do all these things. And suddenly I'm like, I can't do that anymore because I am with child. And the most important thing is my child yeah. and the safety of my child. And, you know, you just, there's already, I guess, mother guilt, they call it. You know, if I'm having a super long day, like, you know, before you could just skip lunch and be like, I have to get this done or skip breakfast. And now yeah. I'm just like, the most selfish thing in the entire world if I didn't you know, nourish my body the correct way. Um, yeah. so everything, it just feels so much more heightened. And, you know, I was already pro-life, um, uh, not my whole life. I used to be pro-choice, right. um, I was younger and I was liberal. And then I became, I would say pro-life about five or six years ago, uh, kind of when I came into my conservative awakening, but seeing, um, it's just incredible. If, if people knew how much you could see at 10 weeks, yeah. um, go in for an ultrasound and mm -hmm. it just makes you really understand how fraudulent the clump of cells, my body, my choice, yeah. like the true evil of that movement uh, has really come to the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's talk about your other baby, your proverbial baby, this book. Um, when did this process start? 
Why did you decide that you wanted to write this book? And, and what is your hope for this book as more and more people read it? You know, my decision to write the book really came about when I realized that the media had been very successful in creating a caricature of Candace Owens. And that caricature, if you were on the left, was sort of like, this girl is just a fraud who's popping up and uh, taking Republican money because she realizes it's better. She used to be a Democrat. All of these things that just weren't true. Um, And then if it was on the right, it was like, this girl is just doing things for attention and she's theatrical and, you know, there's really... Um, no substance behind anything she says or does. Like she's saying the Democrat plantation, you can't say that. That's just to, you know, get under people's skin. Um, And I just felt like I wanted to present something that could assert for people who I actually am, where I came from, what my background is, and why I actually mean what I say. I always um, say to to people, I'm a lot more thoughtful than people give me credit for um, in everything that I do. Like I remember being killed when I first came out and was doing fun YouTube videos and people were like, oh, she's just being funny. And it's like, yes, I'm being funny because I know that humor works and culture works and I understand the significance of culture. Mm -hmm. Case in point, getting into a beef with Cardi B. Um, That's that's thoughtful. I understand the significance of the fact that she has 75 million followers who know nothing about politics other than she's sitting down with this candidate. So he must must be good. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm a lot more measured and and calculated um, in the moves that I take to, you know, sort of preserve what I think are American principles and ideals. And this really allowed me to sort of lay the groundwork for um, what I lived through personally growing up. So people know that I mean these things um, from my heart, not just from my brain, but also from my heart. Um, And yeah, just I I guess to humanize myself in the end. (laughs) Yeah. And I know what this book is about. Um, And you just kind of explained some of it, but could you elaborate a little bit more on what this book is and some of the points that you make in it? Yeah. So this book really kind of goes through, I guess, all of the points that I think Black Americans and all of Americans need to know about the methodology that the left uses in terms of their favored horse, which is race, right? We're always, in every election cycle, everybody's a racist. You and I have talked about this often. Um, And what I wanted to do was sort of take people through my thought process on all of these points um, and show you why the left's arguments are fraudulent and take you through the real history of a Democrat party. Um, So you know that they've always been fraudulent. They've always used sort of this theatrical harping on race. Um, to gain themselves power um, and uh, also to tell my personal stories, you know, to mm-hmm. mix it. So it's not like I'm just saying, you know, the left doesn't support school choice and school choice is good and attacking right. the public education system, but also taking them through what it was like for me in the public education system and also absolving at the same time this sort of plague of white guilt that we see today with white Americans. I feel so bad. We have to do more. Well, a lot of the things that are wrong in society are because internally black America has a problem and only we can fix it. So Mm -hmm. for example, the education chapter, I talk about how I was severely bullied in middle school, which people will be surprised about. Got along great with everybody when I was in elementary school. But then once we started testing and, and doing state testing and I tested out of the group with all the minorities and everyone in my class was white, suddenly the black girls were pushing me into lockers telling me I was acting white. Um, and we have a culture that believes that, you know, aspiring towards academic success. When I say we, I'm referring to black Americans. Aspiring towards academic success um, is something that is proprietary to white people. Um, so we actually are uh, creating um, uh, just sort of an environment that black children can't flourish in. And that has nothing to do with white people. It's our culture. It's celebrating Cardi B when she's making noises for 15 minutes um, to Joe Biden um, and not asking him any valid questions. So Mm -hmm. I just 
took on education, I took on abortion, and just various topics and took them through personal stories um, as well at the same time. Yeah. Well, this book is so well-timed because it seems like it is less popular than ever, at least according to the mainstream media and our cultural overlords on the left, to be able to talk about personal responsibility um, within any community, but uh, community, but particularly um, within black America. There are other scholars like John McWhorter, who has talked about this. Obviously, you probably know Shelby Steele and Larry Elder, but it seems like Right now, it is uh, even more polarizing, according to the left, to talk about this. I was looking at this interesting Pew Research study that shows how Democrats have changed in their perception of racism and discrimination towards black people, that it was... in 2016, people who voted for Hillary Clinton, only, you know, a low percentage of them actually thought that discrimination was the main obstacle for black people. Well, that number has risen by like 25 percent in the Democratic Party, but not in the Republican Party. Very few people believe that America is this place of white supremacy and white privilege in the Republican Party. But it over over a, a course of four years, Democrats have dramatically moved to the left and to the extreme on that. So racism hasn't actually increased by any measure, but the perception of racism has. Why? Why is that happening? Why is that shift taking place so dramatically on the left? Uh, it's because of psychological conditioning, and that psychological conditioning is really an entire ecosystem. It's the politicians, right, who can can no longer um, discern between right and wrong. Uh, meaning years ago, the left and the right could agree on some basic things, right? Looting and burning down something, no matter what happens, is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Going out business owner who's got nothing to do with whatever happened in Minnesota and burning down his business because you need to express how you feel used to be agreed upon as something that was wrong. Right. Now we have politicians unable to say that, right? The concept of defunding the police used to be something that it would be unfathomable. I can't even say right. it could be agreed upon because it's so unfathomable that it, could have, it would have never even been said. Um, now we have politicians that are encouraging that and backing that and not just the politicians, but the media, right? The media that's saying the same thing. This is why this is happening, justifying this behavior. Um, I always use the analogy of if you have a toddler um, and your toddler is uh, throwing a temper tantrum on the floor and demanding and saying that they need something while well, the parent that then says to them your your emotions are completely justified you have every right to scream and cry for this lollipop and throw things down in the store um uh, and uh, i'm going to give you the lollipop and that that then reinforces to that toddler that this behavior is okay um and that their feelings are valid um and right now we have a, a group of people that don't have the spine and all of these institutions organizations and corporations that don't have the spine to say to these people these radicals uh you know it's not all black people it's not all white people we're talking talking about Antifa and Black Lives Matter thugs, um, that their behavior is wrong. Um, And then you have the school system, um, which you and I have talked about, which is now handing down um, an educational manual that basically says you are oppressed and you are the oppressor, depending on your skin color. Mm. Um, And we have not had, um, you know, we we have not fought back to that. Um, We haven't we haven't fought back on that enough. Um, it's just starting, but we there needs to be a significant pushback from parents on this sort of psychological conditioning. In many ways, we're seeing a system, an education system, which seeks to undermine parents and replace the parents in raising these kids um, that can only really be Marxist at the end of the day if those yeah. who are believe are completely absolved from all guilt. And it's yeah. the system and the white man that's out to get you. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, guys, let me take a quick break from that conversation to tell you guys about Fundrise. So we have heard for years that it's important to have a diversified portfolio, so stocks and bonds and mutual funds, that kind of thing. But if you have ever looked at the most uh, successful portfolios, you will typically see a diversified set of real estate. So why isn't what why isn't it one of the first asset classes you consider when you are looking to diversify? Simple, it hasn't been available to investors like you and me until now, thanks to a company called Fundrise. They make it easy for all investors to diversify by building you a portfolio of institutional quality real estate investments. So whether you are just starting to invest in real estate or looking to add more, our friends at Fundrise have you covered. Here's how. Fundrise is an investing platform that makes investing in high quality, high potential real estate really easy, just as easy as investing in your favorite stock or mutual fund. Whether you are looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth or appreciation, Fundrise has got you covered to date. Fundrise manages more than $1 billion in assets for 130,000 plus investors. And since 2014, the Fundrise platform platform has averaged 87 to 12.4% annual returns and investors have earned more than 79 million dollars in dividends alone and that is pretty amazing so they're doing a really good job delivering on their promises fundrise's team of real estate professionals carefully vets and actively manages all of their real estate projects and with their easy to use website you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired improved and operated via asset updates. Start building your better portfolio today. Get started at fundrise.com slash relatable to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That is fundrise.com slash relatable to have your first 90 days of advisory fees waived. That is fundrise.com slash relatable. Yeah, that simplistic worldview of the oppressed versus the oppressor based not on anything you've experienced or done, but just uh, based on your skin color. And that idea, it seems like, has become more popular, again, not as America has actually become more racist, but as it's become more lucrative to talk about racism and critical race theory. And I'm wondering how corporations, I get these emails a lot, and you probably do too, from people who are in a business and they're saying, you know, my company is doing this diversity and inclusion training. And I'm told as a white male that I'm racist. How do I push back against that? Or parents who see curriculum in their children's school about Black Lives Matter and all this stuff that they don't agree with, but they feel powerless to speak up because they don't want to be seen as racist because they're not. Do you have any advice or encouragement for people who feel like, you know, they're just yelling out in the wilderness and who don't have any support? Should they say something? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean, there, I, there, there's either two ways it happens. It's either a coalition of people um, and they say something um, and they try to get things resolved the right way, of course, by just voicing your concerns and and not just voicing your concerns, but saying that you're not going to tolerate it. It's not you shouldn't go in like it's a negotiation. Um, someone telling your kid that they're privileged um, because of the color of their skin is it's racism. That's the very definition of racism, right? Assigning attributes to somebody yeah. based on the color skin. Um, and we have laws that protect against that. So I have been waiting for like the massive lawsuit of a bunch of white parents coming together and suing 
um, a school um, for this sort of behavior, for handing down packets that are literally by definition racist. Um, and I had a young woman, two young women that were twins that I babysat when they were eight and they're now 16. And they told me in, in New York school, they go to a private school to leave, it costs $50,000 a year. Wow. Um, and they have to take this multicultural course and they have to go around the room and share um, why they know um, that they are privileged because of the color of their skin. It is unimaginable for me to, if I had a child who was black, right, uh, for a teacher to tell them to encourage to go around the room and tell them why they know um, that something is fundamentally wrong because of their skin color, like they that they get something in life because of their skin color. Also, during Black History Month, those same students had to go to an auditorium and all of the black kids in their school were invited to go on the stage and yell at the white people and tell them, like, wow. just to them um, what yeah what it is like for them to be black and how wrong and how privileged they are um, it's unimaginable but this is what's happening in the school system and if parents like if, if my child attended that school um, I, I would be suing I mean there's no question this would, it would be litigation for me uh, because that is that is racism and we've already won that war in America yeah. um, and now we're seeing people that s- seek to initiate to reinitiate it again yeah and it's not that it's just um a, a negative impact on the white students or white people. I mean, this is bad for the black students, for the non-white students as well. I mean, this kind of cultural segregation or actual segregation that's happening in some places. I saw, I think it was the University of Michigan that is having like racially segregated safe spaces. I mean, this isn't good for anyone of any race. I also saw another study that showed that these diversity and inclusion trainings, that it's been found that it actually leads to more implicit bias, more discrimination, more resentment between the races, which is such an obvious conclusion to all of us. Where do you think this ends up if people don't read your book and apply its wisdom, if people continue to go down this path of intersectionality and critical race theory? We're going to end up in a resegregated society. And, and, and I wrote about this in my book. It's mind boggling to consider that just a couple of decades ago, uh, Ruby Bridges was considered, mm-hmm. you know, she still is, you know, the face of integration. Um, being yelled at, spat at by white Democrats, um, you know, as she sought to just be able to attend the same school as white people. It's it would have been unimaginable uh, after that major win um, to say, hey, Ruby Bridges, just, you know, in a couple of decades, black kids will it'll be reversed and black kids will be segregating themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so crazy to think that we are as, as black, black America is now demanding their own segregation after everything that our ancestors fought for and how hard they fought for it. And if we continue down this path, you're exactly right. Uh, society Society is going to become more racially polarized um, because it's natural. I mean, I thought about that even when I kept seeing people who were not saying racist things that kept being called racist. How does that not make you feel resentful? If you have, you're not allowed to express yourself, you're not allowed to say an opinion, like maybe you just don't like Candace Owens because you disagree with an opinion. But you say that now and Ali, you're a racist. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. I don't like Candace because you're black. And it's like, no, I don't like Candace because I don't like her positions on this, this and that. And you get shut down and you're told to shut up. That is naturally going to cause white people to feel resentful. They're not allowed to to express themselves when everything that they say, if it's if it's said against a black person, is interpreted as racism. It's wrong. And then amongst Black America, even you're seeing this sort of severance happen, um, which I'm happy about, only because there needed to be this sort of an ideological civil war in our community because we were thinking like such a monolith in the past. Um, but at the same time, you're seeing that. Uh, even black people are, are beginning to resent one another, depending on what side you're on. Like mm. if you're not 
oppressed and you're not down with us and you know you can't be you can't be black and then you have the other people that are like you are making this hard for us when we're you know we've where we have everything we're affording we're the most privileged black American black people that have ever walked the face of the planet and you're trying to send us back um so you're absolutely right that no matter which way you look at it it's going to lead to a more um ideologically segregated um and a physically segregated society yeah and did the democratic party obviously is exacerbating this because they believe that kind of division will help them usher in the collectivist left-wing future that they want that's what i think this is all about that racism is really just a flashpoint for the marxist uh revolution that they are trying to wage that it's not really about black lives or police brutality at all it's about causing division that they hope will allow them to burn down the current institutions in order to rebuild the kind of dystopian future that they want why do you think it is that you point this out in your book that the disparities between um, black Americans and white Americans has not changed, even though they have been voting black Americans uh, uh, predominantly for Democrats who have promised to save them for decades. Why do you think it is that predominantly black Americans are voting for the people who have overpromised and under delivered so many times? Uh, because white guilt is not an antidote to the problems that are plaguing black America. Government is never an antidote to, to problems that are are plaguing any community. The answer is never more government. And you and I know this, Ali, you talk a lot on your podcast about faith. Uh, we talk a lot about family. Uh, we talk a lot about personal responsibility. Uh, what's happening now is as you tread towards a more Marxist society and people that believe in Marxism, even if they don't recognize that it is in fact Marxism, um, is that they begin to worship uh, government as if it is God. They begin to see their government as if it's a, a family unit, as if it's mom and dad. Um, and it, the, those sorts of things and those sorts of triumphs and successes can only come from the individual. That is why it is remarkable when you look at statistics to understand that black America across almost every metric was doing better um, under Jim Crow laws than they are today. And what I'm talking about uh, versus today, I'm talking about um, you know education-wise, job-wise. Uh, we had the last time that we had lower, this is a very interesting statistic. The last time that black Americans um, had a lower unemployment rate than white Americans, it was in 1930. Um, And that was just ahead of uh, the government stepping in and demanding minimum wage so that Mm -hmm. black Americans could no longer compete. So at every point in society, which I talk about in my book, every time the government got involved, things got worse for black America, especially when it comes to the family. And if we don't return to a society where we start valuing the individual um, and we start valuing the family um, and we keep treading towards a society that believes in the government, we are just going to see this plague of narcissism that has you know, no, no good benefits, no results, just the fundamental destruction of Western civilization and all civilizations that, you know, these sort of Marxist, narcissist ideologies. Yeah. I've ever come into. Yeah, we hear that some of the disparities and problems that you're talking about are a result of a the legacy of slavery and b systemic racism. Do you think there's any any truth to those assertions? Yeah, I mean, every time somebody says systemic racism, you know, implies that the system is in and of itself racist. You ask one question: What is it that I can't do as a black woman in America, Ali, that you can't do? Mm-hmm. What is the, just give me the one law. What is it that you're like, okay, Allie can do this, but Candace can't do this. It doesn't exist. 
right? Like that exists in your head. The barrier exists in your head. And that is that is the problem right now for Black America is that we have an illness that is in our head. And it's not our fault. You know, like I said, there are these institutions that are, are I, LeBron James, you know, saying we're literally being hunted, this sort of language. Yeah rhetoric coming from people that they believe in and that they idolize. This is why the Bible preaches against idolatry, right? Mm-hmm. Because this happens when you idolize people like LeBron James, um, is that you start to believe in his reality and what he's telling you. And he is not a God. He is a good basketball player. And that is all he will ever be. Um, you know, one of the biggest, the most satanic things about America today is actually Hollywood. Um, and this, this form of idolatry and believing everything that people like Cardi B and LeBron James say. Um, and it's, it's, it's harming individuals. There is no such thing as systemic racism. This country affords everybody the same opportunity, but you have to want to work hard. And, you know, I talk about this in my book, um, in the chapter on faith, I believe, um, I talk about how really what's plaguing black America, it's, it's fear. Um, what comes with freedom, you know, freedom is almost synonymous with personal responsibility. Like once you're actually free and there are no barriers, then that means that you have to be 100% responsible for yourself. You either make it or you break it. Right. And that's a really hard thing for people that are so used to having been oppressed, which black Americans were, and could point to that oppression and say, look, we do not have equality with white Americans and that's why we're lagging. But what happens is suddenly you're given equality, right? Where you just say when I say, okay, that's it. Now you're actually given equality. It's a tremendous burden and it's really scary. Personal responsibility is really hard. It's still hard for me right now as a business owner every single day to realize that I, my business could fail or my business could be great, but it takes an amount of courage. And what you're taking away from these kids when you condition to them from the time that they're young to believe that no matter what, it's not your fault, no matter what, you can point to some oppression is you're you're fundamentally creating kids that don't have the confidence uh, to re- be brave, to, to try, right, to fail. We've all failed um, in various different ways across our lifetimes, but to keep getting back up. Um, and that, to me, is the true evil um, of the left today, is yeah. that they're trying people to fail before they ever even try. Where do you think Republicans in the right have maybe failed in reaching out to Black Americans? Do you think that or do you think that they have done a very effective job. They definitely have not done a good job. (laughs) And I don't think anybody would say the Republicans have been so amazing. Um, But I understand it. And I and I sympathize with it. Because like I said, I can't imagine what it would be like, if every time you opened your mouth, you were called a racist, right? If you're like, hey, I really want to help you. And it's like, no, you don't get it. If you don't support this, you're a racist. Um, You you know, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be so trigger friendly, you'd be trigger shy. Um, and you just say, you know what, forget it. This is just never going to happen. And they don't see it. They don't get it. And you just don't try anymore. And I think that that's what's kind of happened to Republicans um, over time is that they just stopped trying because so many of them are smeared and libeled as racists yeah. uh, for literally trying to get out there and help. Um, so I think now, though, I would like to think that with so many conservative voices like me, black conservative voices who have purposefully changed the dialogue and purposefully changed it as in, I always wanted to be, I knew I was never going to be a Dr. Ben Carson. He's way more brilliant than me. He's a neurosurgeon. He's separated conjoined twins. Okay. He wins. He's smarter than than Candace. Than all of us. (laughs) (laughs) He's smarter than us. Okay, fine. I knew I wasn't going to be a Dr. Condoleezza Rice. Uh, You know, she's, she's just incredibly accomplished woman plays the piano, but I did realize that I could have 
um, you know, I could have a greater impact than than them. And I spoke to Dr. Ben Carson about this. And he said, why do you think it is, Candace, um, that you've been able to do so much in just a little bit of time? And I've been working my whole life towards this. And I said to him, uh, well, you know, respectfully, Dr. Carson, you were just too polite. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what was missing. Like this, when people think that I'm abrasive, I'm abrasive for a reason, uh, because I understand the plague in black America's father absence. I understand that when you remove fathers from the home, these people don't know how to respond to authority because they've never had to do it. There is no dad at home. You think they want to listen to their teachers in school? You want to know why they're failing in school and why they're rude to their teachers and why they that transpires people that are rude to police officers and people that are you know inside of the system? It's because they don't know what authority is because people usually just let them get what they want. And I wanted to push back. I wanted to give birth to black conservatives who were proud and unapologetically black conservatives and didn't just take being called an Uncle Tom and sit down. Right. Yeah. And I've done that. I fought back. I wasn't going to just take Cardi B attacking me. Right. And in yeah. the past, I think if it was Dr. Ben Carson, he would have been like, I, I, I you know, I separate conjoined twins. I don't get into public space. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a need for that cultural megaphone. And there just aren't very many. Um, I don't uh, there aren't very many black women in particular saying what you say and doing what you do in a way that cuts through all the noise and doesn't use any kind of subliminal messaging or you don't acquiesce ever. That's something I've noticed. You don't even give an inch or a centimeter to the other side when you are confident in your position. And I think that's part of the reason why you have just exploded and become so successful, because You say the things that people are thinking, but they're too scared to say, and you give a voice to a lot of people, no matter what their skin color is in your, in your boldness. And I think that that is, um, a huge service to culture, but also uh, a huge reason why you have just uh, accomplished so much, uh, so quickly. But as you write in your book, it's not necessarily just overnight. Your life has kind of been building up to this in a way, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that is, that's God, right? He, he's got, he's got the plan long before you understand it. And it's so funny now to go back, you know, yesterday I was having a conversation with my little sister and I was so emotional thinking about it because there were so many times growing up that I hated being the girl that was impoverished. I hated being the girl that lived in, you know, a roach infested apartment and my parents couldn't afford for me to go on field trips. And I hated God in those moments. And that sounds so blasphemous to say out loud, but you do, you know, you, you, you blame God when you're a kid. It's like, why me God? Right. And, um, and horrible things that happened to me in the first chapter, I talk about, you know, a hate crime um, that I lived through in high school. And it was, again, that same attitude, that same angry, why me, God, why do I have this life? Why was I raised this way? And then now I, he's unveiled part of his hand to me. And it's like, because I had to live through that because the first thing the left would have done if I hadn't lived through that was try to take away, oh, well, she grew up rich. She, you know, she grew up within a two parent, she grew up in a two parent home. She, all of these things that somehow discount what you're saying, right. In the same way that Allie, you're white. So you don't get it. Well, I'm black. I grew up impoverished. I had to work for everything I had. I started my life in debt. Um, and God wanted it that way because he knew, um, you know, that it would just, it would give me, um, the, the strength and the ability to be able to say what I say and people would, would not be able to discount my words yeah. um, uh, because of these various things. So everything, honestly, now in retrospect, 
Um, it's just, it's all God, you know what I mean? It's just, it's so much bigger and more complex and greater than we'll ever understand. Definitely. Okay. One last question that I meant to get to earlier, but I just want to hear quickly how you believe that President Trump is delivering on his promises, not just to black America, but America in general and why you support him and you encourage other people to as well. Yeah, you know, I've always said is the president does not, and I, I know him quite well now, and the president does not care about race or color. Um, the co- Actually, the one color he cares about is green. He likes money, he likes success, and he likes to win. Um, and actually, that philosophy of success is that that's the one thing we can all share in this country, and that's always been the American philosophy. If you can come here with the clothes on your back, if you're willing to play by the rules, stay out of trouble and work hard and make good decisions, this country will reward you. Um, and I think that what I love about Trump is that first and foremost, it had to be him uh, because of the same reasons that I just listed, the Candace versus uh, Dr. Ben Carson personality. We needed someone who wouldn't buckle when he was called a racist, right? Um, that he would just continue to be a good president, that he would continue um, you know, to make sure that there were jobs available, continue to get people off of government assistance, someone who doesn't believe in welfare, who's not going to get up and say um, at his State of the Union address, uh, more, we've given out more welfare benefits than ever, ever before, which is exactly um, what Barack Obama did and the Black Caucus cheered. And and he understands that this is a country that is built on the concept of free markets and capitalism um, and Judeo-Christian beliefs. You know, his fight uh, for faith, for, for, for the faith community is a huge thing. Uh, because as I said, one of the biggest things playing America today is narcissism. Um, and Ali, you do a great job of talking about this in your book. Um, and, and if we can't fight for all of those things, right? Judeo-Christian beliefs, capitalism, and free markets. To me, Trump has done all of those things, and he has defended all of those things and defended the freedoms of the Constitution every single day while he's in office. Um, do I have issues? Do I do I think Trump is a perfect person? No. Do I think Trump is the perfect person for what we are going through in American society today? Yes. The the ideological war. Do I think he is the right person to lead us? Um, you know, at this moment in time, yes. Do we need a President Trump forever, a boisterous person like this? No. Do we need a President Trump right now? Absolutely. Mm. Um, and. It just, it just had to be someone with his character. So I, I fully support him and I, I hope he wins in a landslide and it would feel really great for all of us who have just been going, what yeah. the heck is going on in America? Right, right, right. Well, tell everyone where they can buy your book and anywhere else you want to send them as well. Yes, anywhere that sells books. You can go on Amazon. I think they're on back order right now. Um, Barnes and Noble is a great place to go. Um, uh, but you can walk into any bookstore uh, and pick it up. And uh, thank you guys. Also, I just want to thank everybody. This has been a huge dream of mine uh, to be a published bestselling author. And it's becoming a reality. Thanks oh, that most is so exciting. <laughs> yay, yay. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. You have been all over Fox and the major networks and all that good stuff. And I just hope that you sell millions and millions of copies. So thank you so much. And congratulations again. Thank you, Allie. Thanks for having me. Guys, I hope you loved that conversation. Make sure that you go pick up her book. She mentioned my book at the end of that conversation. You're not enough and that's okay. Escaping the toxic culture of self-love. A great pairing with this book, I would say. You can go to AllieBethStuckey.com slash book to pick that up. If you're interested, join Women's Book Club with Allie Stuckey on Facebook. We are going through a discrimination and disparities with Thomas Sowell right now, which um, actually is uh, talking about a lot of the principles and concepts that can Candace talked about today and talked about in her book. So again, another great book to go with uh, the other books that I have suggested. Okay, I hope that you have a great rest of your day and a great weekend. We will be back here on Monday.